It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he was 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Full of it. Uh, Chris Schmidt is not here today. He would be on assignment, accepting his award in... Is it North Carolina, Elijah? Uh, yeah, North Carolina is, is my understanding. Yeah. yeah, so Chris, of course, won the Nebraska Sportscaster of the Year Award. And he gets to go to the national convention for that and take home his trophy along with all the other state's award winners. So on this show this morning, we have exactly zero Nebraska Sportscasters of the Year. Um between me and Elijah, yet Elijah, you still got a shot. <laughs> hey, you do too. You, do. you you got some time too. You think so? Yeah. yeah. yeah there's there's always time. <laughs> They're probably. I, it, it, does the criteria include you have to do more than two hours on a Saturday morning? It's about co- contributions to the industry as a whole. So oh. um, there's a potential. It's not like a. It's not a quantity thing. It's a quality thing. Like a bribe thing? Like, what do you got to do? <laughs> How do you contribute to the whole? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know out. either, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I, um, but that's okay. Yeah. How, that's are you, okay. how are you doing this morning, Mark? Yeah, I'm doing well. It's uh, the first time that there ha- isn't a baseball something. When you become baseball dad, and you would know, Elijah, not, not as being a baseball dad, but umpiring. There is a plethora of games out there, aren't there? Oh, I mean, like, yeah. There's more than enough. Human beings, young human beings are playing baseball pretty much from sunup to sundown at every available field all over every city in Nebraska. Like that just that's what's happening. And uh, if you are a baseball dad, I mean, your weekends are like that's what it is. I'm talking like a couple weekends ago in Lincoln, actually a 9 a.m. game, and then a 4 p.m. game. Like, that's a long stretch. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty much your whole weekend and not enough time to really go back and do anything else. So you just kind of, you're just out. Um, so this is the first weekend in a while without baseball. How about you? Do you got, you got umpiring gigs this weekend or, or, yeah, or what? So uh, with that, that Slump Busters tournament up in Omaha, um, there's just been a, a lot of games to go around for all umpires in the, the eastern half of Nebraska. So uh, I actually had a game yesterday. In between uh, the morning hookup and Hale Varsity Radio, a single game during the day. I got another doubleheader coming up this evening, and then a doubleheader tomorrow morning as well. So, uh, you you are kind of correct with uh, there's always there's always baseball games to be had in, in all over Nebraska, sun up to sundown, and uh, I, I can't confirm there. You, you are correct. So, you know, and for for folks that might not be familiar, the Slump Buster Tournament is quite literally the largest youth youth baseball tournament in the country. Um, especially pre-COVID it was. I mean, you're talking, what, 700-some teams, something like that? Something Just... like that, and they, they 
converge upon Omaha the same week as College World Series. It gives teams a reason to come out. As ah, you can come to our baseball tournament, and then you can also go off and watch the College World Series whenever you're not playing your own baseball game. So that's why you're always uh, seeing those youth baseball teams up up in the outfield seats at the College World Series. They they come in for the tournament. They'll play their tournament, and then they'll also catch the College World Series and catch some high quality baseball. Uh, and all it means is with all those teams. Just a whole bunch of umpires needed in the city of Omaha. And even uh, guys in Lincoln headed up to Omaha and all over southeastern Nebraska. So it, it leaves games for people like me who don't want to go up to Omaha and do the youth baseball tournament. But uh, all my competition for umpiring games are gone. So, yeah, see, and there, there's actually like two sessions. So the Slump Buster already had like a tournament champion for, for one session. And now there's another session. We'll have another tournament champion. So it's a huge tournament up here in, uh, in Omaha that happens and and a lot of baseball players converging here as opposed to the Nebraska baseball program where everybody's leaving <laughs> once again if if you haven't kept kept track Cord Jackson announces that he has entered the transfer portal and this was a kid who's a freshman out of Canada i believe a connection to Adam Stern former Husker great i believe um so he comes here. He he locks down a middle infield spot. He was in there with Bryce Matthews quite a bit. They he switched between second and shortstop depending on Matthews' health. Uh, ended up batting two ten. You know, so he didn't have a great batting year, but obviously good enough defensively to lock down one of those middle infield spots for most of the year. And you couple his departure with Cam Chick, who was another regular in the and. Um, at multiple positions, actually. And then you have Leighton Banjoff, who's also decided to hang it up or, or decided to transfer. Look, that's there are quite a few guys on the in the baseball program, which generally is more transient than more than most programs. Right. Baseball just has a lot of movement between professional baseball, Juco baseball, um, being able to transfer. It's a partial scholarship roster mm. uh so you you are going to see a little bit more movement but it's been quite a bit i mean to to the point where next year th- there aren't going to be a lot of familiar faces in the baseball program and then that just follows the trend of well think about hoops think about basketball you're gonna have a new point guard you're gonna have a new shooting guard probably gonna have new forwards <laughs> it's kind of like Derek walkers like maybe the constant starter that 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 everybody kind of knows about has some name recognition like he'll be back um not a lot of others and then football we've talked about this like crazy new quarterback new running back new receivers i mean pretty much everybody <laughs> like the the names that you would typically know same thing there and that's okay if that's the way of the world, right? Like I think it's the way of the world that, you know, in the transfer portal era, you're going to have more movement, duh. In Nebraska in particular, who has attrition issues anyways, pre-transfer portal even, has attrition issues anyways because of, probably because of geography. Brandon Vogel has done extensive research on that, which essentially says, Nebraska has a disproportionate amount of players that show up and then leave in football, especially something like 34 to 40% of the roster 
that's what happens, right? So everybody gets excited about your 20 recruits per year. Well, the numbers show that just under half of those guys are leaving all the time, like every year. And it's and it's only gonna <laughs> it's only gonna change with the transfer portal. It's gonna make it easier for somebody who's disgruntled or you're weighing your options. Like it's just easier to just go. So that's that attrition number is probably going to get even greater. So when you combine all that, it's happening in baseball to a, to a greater degree. It's happening in basketball. That's ever since Hoiberg got here, like roster just changes out every single year. Football, we've had that attrition, but it's even more pronounced this year with the transfer portal and all the kind of like all the name positions. You're, you're losing a lot of guys. Does it affect, does this all affect all of this movement where you, 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 you know, part of being a fan is like sort of establishing a quote unquote relationship with the players and watching them grow up and all that. That's not happening anymore. <laughs> it's just not. And does, and will that, will that continue one? And then two, will that affect how you follow the program? And if you follow the program and will that start to affect season tickets and all that or is that just the way of the world and that's just how it is well mark, i don't know mark i'll hand it to you you came prepared here on a saturday morning with uh with your talking points because let's just compare this to my morning where i woke up at seven or sorry six forty-five, and have been fueled by pure <laughs> pure adrenaline of that feeling of oh no i almost slept through another one of these saturday morning <laughs> shows been fueled by pure adrenaline coming in here like, okay, what are we going to talk about? Hope Mark is prepared. Mark, you, you delivered this fine morning. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and One I, of us had to do it, Elijah. <laughs> you know. Well, that's that's why you're up for uh, 2023 Nebraska Sportscaster of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just cinch it? Good. Yeah. Good. Um, but you're right with this, just the, the roster turnover uh, that there is on this team. This I mean, it's it's across all three men's sports. I mean, we saw the 2021-22 season in terms of, uh, I believe the stat is the worst season dating back to 1951. And I, I did the research here a couple months ago, and uh, it, it was close. Nebraska was almost actually percentage-wise worse than 1951 uh, across the three major men's sports. So it, it almost feels like high risk, high reward for all three of these teams in terms of how much roster turnover there is where you go – on, I guess all three of these teams, football, basketball, and baseball, I look at it and I go, based on the roster turnover, I think there is hope for the future, hope for this season, but also based on what, aside from baseball, uh, really with football and basketball, I look at what these coaches have done with high roster turnover in, in seasons past, and, and God, it doesn't really give me all that much hope for the future, but... You look at, at how these programs have been slowly, incrementally building, and I guess the records haven't always uh, represented that, but it almost feels like these teams are getting closer to being able to compete at a Big Ten level, and you go, well, have they finally fi have they figured out the formulas? I guess it's it's the, the curse of Nebraska football, being a Husker fan, where they draw me back in every single time, where I go, yeah, based on, on what I'm seeing here, the... the, the uh, Let's take a sip of coffee before I, I just choose my next word. <laughs> the, uh, the the roster does have uh, enough potential and on paper uh, to be good, but then you can also say that about Husker football and basketball over the past couple of years, where on paper these teams should be better than they are. And it, it's, it's, I guess, giving us fun talking points here in the month of June in terms of 
is this season going to be different? Is there a reason for this season to be different? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's across so many sports, man. And it's yeah. um, it's it, you look in football. You you're you're at the point now, if, especially after year four of Frost, where they go three and nine. I I, I do put a little bit. I, I put stock into like what the computers say, just because it it normal. You know, as long as the program. Uh, had some logic behind it. it. It normalizes things, right? So, like, I put a lot of stock into that one. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but something like they ran 5,000 simulations for Nebraska season mm-hmm. for last year, right? Like 5,000 simulations, like plugged in all the – here's all the data of Nebraska season last year and their opponents and their opponents' win percentage and points per game and points per play and – all the things threw it all into a thing. Ran a five thousand, ran their season with the, uh, you know, five thousand times, and only two of those simulations did it come back. Nebraska going three and nine, like it was that unlikely <laughs> that Nebraska, like the computers were just like, no, the, when you consider all the data, <laughs> all the yards, all the points, all the everything. Only twice out of 5,000 simulations does it come back three and nine. I think you can criticize Frost and his staff. You can do that, obviously, because the results aren't there, right? But I really do believe when you look at all the four years, you can't look at four years as an anomaly, right? There's a there's a through line there. There's a common thread of whether it's lack of coaching, something, right? There's something not right but i really do believe that last year was an, an like a statistical anomaly it's something that was just so unlikely to happen that i get, i give him the benefit of the doubt for that season for for last season probably more than any other season the way the defense played right they, they look they they came to play they give you a chance to win every time uh and you you can't pin it all on Adrian, but you know, as, as you're looking at it, you're just like, God, at what point, when did he or they just make the clutch play? Like the clutch play when you had to have it, like who did that? Well, m- and the answer is nobody. <laughs> and you're just like, at some point you're going to make a play. Sorry, Elijah. Yeah, well, you Mark, this this takes me back to that that what uh, that anonymous coach said in Athlon about Nebraska, calling them the the all bus team uh, in the recent years, and, and I guess that's my question with uh, that season last year. We never know how wacky it was, and it, it comes down to was the results of last season on the coaching staff or was it on the players on the team who who couldn't get the job done? And I, I think that question is still unanswered from last season. When you look at it, you, you go. Did they have all these close losses because the coaching staff did all they could with a roster that just couldn't figure out how to win? Or is it the other way around? Did, did the roster do all they can to, to carry a coaching staff that can't figure out how to win? Uh, what Which side of the coin do you sit on? And I think we're going to learn a lot about that this fall. And that's why uh, it's year five is, is the make or break for Scott. And we heard that a couple years ago from Bill Moose of you can't judge Scott Frost until it's after year five. And even people across the national media have said that. Well, with, with the uphill climb that he had, you can't judge him until after year five. And I think it's t- turned out to be a hundred percent true with uh, this roster. You still don't know after, after four years of 
have all these losses been on the coaching staff failing to properly prepare the team, or is it uh, a coaching staff trying to prepare a team that, that just can't figure out how to win football games? And I think you're going to figure it out this season. With as much roster turnover as you have, I don't think there's a way that you can adequately say if the results this year match the results of last year where you're losing one score football games and you're losing in inexplicable ways such as the special teams or throwing a pick in the fourth quarter you go if it's new guys making the same old mistakes as last season or finding new mistakes to make in order to lose football games I don't think it it falls on the roster anymore that's where it falls back on the coaching staff and I mean are we going to know week zero against Northwestern probably not but I don't think it's going to take us until October to know the answer to that question uh, I think it's going to be answered in relatively short order in the season I think that's whenever you, you get into that conversation of Scott Frost buyout lowering come October 1st you're going to know by then I believe whether or not it, it, the blame falls upon the coaching staff or on the players with just how much turnover there is yeah and it'll be it'll be good to see him paired with another quarterback it just will and that's that's not a criticism of Adrian as much as it is just like that's not you it's me type thing right it's just they they don't you just have to see it you just haven't you haven't seen frost without martinez essentially you just haven't you know maybe for a game or two here or there when Adrian was injured of course but i'm talking like ride or die for the season it will be good just to see what happens there and good to see what happens with martinez down at k state I mean, it might it might end up being the best thing for both parties, you know. You have to you'll have to see. Um, I was talking about this with with somebody yesterday, and it's just like, you know, physically, Mar- Martinez had everything you wanted, and and then some. I mean, probably, probably, if not the one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the nation, just straight up, and like I'll I'll die on that hill, <laughs> like. That dude was fast. He was quick. He was tough. He was strong. He could. He had an arm, right? All those. He had all the physical traits, right? Even some of the mental traits about just toughness. You don't have to worry about that with that guy at all, you know. Uh, but man, where was the clutch play? Mark, this and is that is that on him or is that on the coaching staff? You, you don't know. So that's what I'm saying. It's like it, it'll just be good to see somebody else trying to get it done under Frost. Mark, there, there's two places this, this conversation go, and I'm going to lead you down the path that me and my roommate were actually talking about last night. So shout out to Darren at home. He, he got, gave me a, a talking point for this morning now that we've gotten into this. How would you feel if come December Nebraska is slated to play Kansas State in a bowl game? Do you think it would feel extra sweet if Nebraska were to go out and beat Adrian Martinez in a bowl game? Or would it be bittersweet because of the memories of Adrian? I mean, I think there is two sides of that this offseason of of people who um, appreciate Adrian's contributions to the program and other people who've had a sour taste left in their mouth by what he has said to, to news services, what he said to uh, on his podcast with saying, oh, I went to Kansas State to go win a bowl game. I think this is the most talented roster I've ever been a part of. Does that leave a bad taste in your mouth to the point where you would want to go face Adrian in a bowl game in order to, uh, I don't know, uh, stick it to him is not the right word, but I guess there is kind of that that uh, that feeling around of, of, of this transfer. I, I don't know. It, it personally has left a bad taste in my mouth, and I – I mean, if you took me back a month, I would say, oh, man, this is all clickbait. People just want to get Nebraska in the headlines. But as time goes on, I, I sit here and I go, 
why is Adrian still talking about, or I guess, airing his dirty laundry at Nebraska whenever you compare that to other quarterbacks around the country, particularly here at Nebraska with Casey Thompson, where I haven't heard anything about Casey Thompson's dirty laundry down in Texas, even though I know there probably is some. Haven't heard anything about that yet. Adrian Martinez is is airing his dirty laundry about Nebraska. I guess, is it leaving a dirty taste in your mouth to the point where you would want to go face Adrian and beat Adrian in a bowl game? This no, because and this is as a fan versus like as a competitor on the yes, like yes, if you're yes. a competitor on the team, you're just like bring on whoever, let's go. As a fan, I don't want to see Adrian on the other. <laughs> no, because because of everything I was just talking about. Like, no, I would rather not face quarterbacks that run four fives, that are six two two oh five and really tough, that know how to juke people, you know, that have a pretty strong arm. <laughs> Like no, give. I want to face a quarterback that like has cement shoes, can barely throw the ball. I don't want to. No, like, and I I think that's that kind of highlights my point is that he is dangerous. Mm-hmm. He is a dangerous quarterback to face. Super dangerous. Off script. Like, who knows what's going to happen? You know, and that's another thing. He he didn't get a lot of protection last year. The stats would back that up terms of like being under pressure last year he, he was like tops in the country in terms of under pressure so that's another thing that you gotta you gotta kind of resolve as you, as you think about this whole situation with how's nebraska gonna look with a new quarterback and you know how much fault was adrian versus frost versus the program versus whatever but i don't want to you, you want to face that like hey you, you i mean you get to choose whoever you want to face in a bowl game, like, let's go against the guy who can break a game open like that. Like, no, I don't want to face him, let alone the awkwardness. And whatever goodwill you build up during the season, for Frost, put it this way, for Frost, I wouldn't want to see that either. Whatever, Because whatever goodwill you build up during the season, right, and then you kind of close in November with the with the gauntlet. That's where you got Wisconsin, Iowa. Um, who am I forgetting? Uh, is it? It's not Michigan next year, is it? Michigan. Um, you play Michigan yeah. at the Big House. That four game stretch. It's uh, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa. Right. So you're closing that November, and let's be real. You're hoping for two and two out of that deal, right? Like just let's be real. Hoping for two and two. Four and zero oh would be like. Pfft. Everybody's going streaking at seventy second and dodge if that's happening. Um, well, because if you go four and zero in that stretch, there's a good chance you're winning the Big Ten West. Yeah, exactly. So, but realistically, as we sit here today in June, two and two for that. So you're probably not going to end the season on some huge high note with, wow, this program's really. You're probably going to end with, eh, doing pretty well, and then to have that capped off with Adrian Martinez at K State, no less, beating you in a bowl game. That would not. That would not be good. That well, would not be good. So for the program's sake, for Frost's sake, for the fans' sake, I don't want any part of that. Mark, I don't want to see that at all. We are probably getting ahead of ourselves by talking about a bowl game in, in <laughs> June, um, and who we'd like to face in a bowl game. Uh, that's the that's the point we've reached in this off season. Of we're already talking about that. So to, to bring things back a little bit, talking oh, quarterback. Are we even too far ahead of ourselves by anointing Casey Thompson the starter? I, I mean. You made it through spring, and it felt like a, a done deal that Casey's going to be your starter. But it, within the past month, month and a half, I feel like there's been 
more steam towards the the, the Chubba Purdy. And, and maybe that's just media trying to drive something uh, as we sit here in June, trying to drive some storylines for fall camp. But are, are you buying into the, the, the Chubba Purdy hype train in terms of he could go out and win the starting job this fall? Or are you all in on Casey Thompson already? Hey, real quick. Thanks for reeling it back in, right? Yeah. <laughs> thanks for reeling it back in. Uh, but this used to be the discussion. This is like you used to be able to just like project out like which bowl game. Yeah, we, we don't have that luxury anymore. Um, I, I don't think it's made up. I, I don't think it's made up, Elijah, because everybody saw on the field. You, you know, you can make conclusions with your own eyes what you see on the field during the spring game. And during the spring game, physically, Chubba Purdy looked like the most explosive player at that position. Uh, surprisingly so, right? Like, I expected him to be able to move. I knew he could move. That dude was pretty fast. He was pretty fast. He was built well. He threw the ball well. Um, I I think where that's coming from is just a realistic assessment of looking on the field and just looking at who stands out, like, just physically. And he, he looked like the best quarterback just from a physical standpoint, in my opinion. And, and you didn't see a lot of Casey Thompson, so that was part of it. And I think some of the play calls maybe were muted a little. He only did a couple series. So he didn't do anything that would wow you. Uh, he didn't get out on the run too much. Um, but Chubba Purdy looked impressive. I, I think that's where it's coming from. And he's been hurt for a while. Look, he was about to start at Florida State as a freshman. He got hurt. He did start some games. He was hurt. So now he's held, like, And that tells you something. Now, Florida State's been struggling too, but you don't just walk into a program like Florida State as a freshman and start at quarterback if you don't have something to your game, right? So I, I think it's real. I think it's very real. And that's going to be another thing that has to get managed by Frost. And we'll have to see if he's able to do that. Mark, we got to get to the uh, the rewinds uh, segment as uh, we're going to rewind to yesterday. Jacob Padilla sat down with us, talked to some uh, Bryce McGowans. Uh, and uh, what else am I forgetting here? Mostly Bryce Oops. McGowans. Hoops. Uh, and uh, Jacob had good stuff yesterday. So we're going to sit down and rewind with Jacob Padilla on the way. As uh, After that, we'll uh, talk with Brandon Vogel and Gary Sharp, their usual Saturday morning editions. Uh, but Jacob Padilla is next here on Hale Varsity Radio, the Saturday morning edition presented by the Draft Lottery. Hello, listener. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast. We're offering $10 off the annual subscription price. That means that you can get everything we do. 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. To rise with Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's talk some NBA draft, and we welcome in basketball insider with Hale Varsity, Jacob Padilla, at Jacob Padilla underscore is where you find him. First and foremost, Jacob, what did you crush last night at the Hale Varsity Club? What was your uh, your, uh, your your choice on the menu? What would you fire up? I went with the, uh, the chicken sandwich, the crispy chicken sandwich, and it was delicious. I thought about that, but um, 
some of us have brutal metabolism because we're old. So I had the old spinach salad that was incredible. But uh, what an event. Uh, it was great to see everyone out for the yearbook release party. Good to see you, Jacob. And, man, you were locked in on uh, on the draft last night. Let's get your thoughts. Bryce McGowan's. we knew he'd go. We just didn't know when he'd get picked. Ended up going 40th overall to the Timberwolves and then traded to Charlotte. What do you think about where he was slotted? Yeah, um, it's kind of an interesting situation. I'm sure he was probably disappointed. I don't think uh, the 40th pick is what he had in mind when he landed at Nebraska. So in that regard, you, um, I think you're hoping for more, but at the same time, he did get picked, got picked in the first 40 picks, um, got picked a little bit higher than the, the previous two picks, Lionel Banton and uh, Isaiah Roby are uh, 45 and 46. Um, so they're slowly uh, inching up higher in the draft, but um, we'll have to see kind of Charlotte has a lot of uh, free agency kind of situations to figure out some trade uh, potential there as well, um, especially with, on their wings. And that's kind of the position that Bryce is going to play. So the, the roster could open up a little bit, but at the same time, they also drafted – James Booknight in in the late lottery last year, and I think he's uh, a somewhat similar player to Bryce in terms of what he does and what he brings. Um, I just kind of seeing some of the quotes, uh, I guess uh, from Mitch Kupchak uh, said they were uh, they had uh, Bryce kind of much higher, um, rated much higher than where they end up landing him. Um, scrambled to, to move up to go get him. Um, so that, that's, that speaks well to how they regard him. Uh, but I also saw, uh, a tweet from a beat reporter there that, um, Cupjack suggested maybe Bryce would be on a two way as opposed to a full contract. So we'll have to see kind of how that plays out. The, the 40th pick in the draft last year, um, was Jared Butler from, uh, from Baylor who, with Utah, who signed a two year guaranteed deal. So he's kind of in that mix where a lot of players in that range do get do get guaranteed like full NBA contracts, but there are also some guys in that mix that that sign two way deals uh, initially first and have to try to break fully into the league that way. So we'll have to see kind of how the, the contract situations work out with Bryce. But um, Charlotte was one of the teams that he worked out for before the draft, and apparently it went well enough for them to value him enough to to go get him. Jacob Adele is with us from Hale Varsity talking NBA draft and Husker Bryce McGowan's uh, off to Charlotte. And it's tricky with uh, the draft. It's not the draft shrunk a long, long time ago. Prior to that, you'd have three or four rounds or, or even more. But now it's do you go to the de- developmental league and, and go get a guy? You always have overseas prospects that. Really, uh, if if a kid's in Europe playing ball, yeah, he's going to school. But uh, from a, from a skill development standpoint, I mean, that's a twenty four seven job. It feels like for some of the international kids, and they come in really skilled and and really uh, well rounded game wise. What do you like about Bryce's game that can immediately contribute if he gets that opportunity? And where does the work need to happen? What are some some thoughts you have with uh, the development still needed to to make that next level step? 
Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, the the baseline of scoring skills are there. He can get to the rim. Um, he's shown the ability to hit some tough jumpers from NBA range on the three. Um, obviously, crafty off the bounce uses his length well to, to extend and finish. He got better at playing through contact later in the season, so he's got the potential to to score at multiple levels. Uh, and I'm guessing that's what they liked about him. But one, he's got to get the jumper kind of ironed up a little bit more. Like that's got to go down at a higher rate. And in Nebraska, there were some signs. Like like you look at his uh, unguarded catch and shoot numbers, and they were really good. Like show that the touch is there. He gets an open look uh, off the catch, then he can knock it down. But um, the unfortunate part is like with Nebraska's uh, the situation around him, he he got more contested jumpers than he did uncontested ones. And he also got more shots off the dribble because he had to create so much himself. And he really struggled with his off, off the dribble shot. Um, so first and foremost, he's got to get that jumper back to what we saw from him at high school, where he was a 40% shooter throughout his career at, um, at Wren. And then the percentage dropped a little bit. But again, he was taking a lot of tough shots when he went to legacy early college there for his senior year. So, um, He's got to. He's got to get that. He's got to be just a little bit more efficient with it, and it starts, I think, with knocking down that jumper. And then defensively, he, he's got to improve quite a bit on that end to be able to to get out there on the NBA floor. Um, otherwise, coaches probably aren't going to be too interested in in putting him out there if he can't guard his position. With uh, is the skill set there? It's just more of just doing it because uh, he was asked to do a lot offensively for Nebraska last year. Yeah, um, and that that is kind of I think that's something that NBA teams were having to to sift through uh, when it came to this decision making. All right, there's lots of things to like. There's a lot of red flags there. Which which side of that do we believe more strongly in? And do we believe in our ability to get that out of him and to polish that up? Um, because this was a guy top thirty uh, player in his class. Um, he did well, uh, I think, at the. Uh, the Iverson Classic last year in front of NBA scouts. Um, there were some moments where you, you could definitely see it during the season. Um, so it's just, again, a, a about which teams felt that they could get that out of it. And Charlotte uh, saw enough there that um, I think they're, they're worth taking the development. I, I don't think anybody expects them to be an instant impact guy. Um, he, he's got to continue to get stronger. He's got to keep adding weight to his frame. And again, he's got to get reps and reps and reps on that jumper to, to, to kind of get that back to where he's shown he's capable of shooting in terms of percentage-wise. So um, I think that's kind of where he's at right now. I think it's more of a, a long-term pick for Charlotte. And that's kind of the – I think that that point of the second round, that's that's what you're looking for, a chance uh, at somebody w- with some, some good upside that maybe you don't need to, to throw him in the mix right away, but – um, you can, and we saw just last year with uh, with Book Knight, who they they kind of had some veteran guards, um, some wings in the rotation, and he didn't get a chance to play a ton. We'll have to see this year kind of how the contract situation shake out, um, whether or not he kind of is able to crack the rotation more. Um, he only played 31 games as a rookie last year, so I, I think Nebraska fans probably expect to see uh, McGowan's playing quite a bit in the G league, uh, depending on where they are in the season. And, um, and we'll have to see if he can crack his way, uh, uh, earn his way under the floor with, with the big club as well. 
Jacob, how is Charlotte? You mentioned uh, some question marks with with where they go and maybe some uh, redundancy with with skill set and you know body type and player type. But overall, what to your knowledge, what's Charlotte's rep for 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 guys drafted into their program? I know Jordan's the owner. Uh, what's what's the word or what's your take on on the fit and the landing situation? Yeah, um, well, tough part right now is they don't have the coach, so it's hard to um, hard to n- totally know what to think about that with a uh, um, coach uh, uh, falling through and kind of backing out. Uh, Kenny Atkinson, mm-hmm. who did have a rep for. Um, developing young players. That's uh, what he did well in, in Brooklyn kind of before they got the, the superstars to come join there and kind of change gears. So I think that would have would have been good good fit, but now um, now they're, Mike D'Antoni was one of the other finalists for that job. Maybe he ends up kind of taking over. And in terms of fit, I think Bryce would fit well into a uh, D'Antoni type of system with his way to play, ability to play in transition and um, shoot the ball and things like that. So um, we'll, we'll have to see kind of how that side of it uh, kind of bounces up or ends up before we, I think, have a great feel for um, fit and development-wise because they're going to get some new coaches, uh, uh, development coaches and things like that in there. But you've got a core with LaMelo Ball, um, who is a really good young player, uh, and then they've got to kind of figure out who else are going to be pieces of the score? Miles Bridges, one of those wings, is a restricted free agent. They got to figure out: are they going to are they going to be able to trade Gordon Hayward's contract and, and clear that off the books and uh, out of the rotation and kind of open the door for some younger guys? Kelly Oubre Jr. is a um, free agent, I, I believe, um, or, or can be. Um, so they've got some decisions to make before we know kind of what this team is going to look like. But man, if Bryce clicks. That, that's uh, with book night in there as well with ball. They, they've got some, some talented young uh, backcourt uh, pieces there to, to build around. And, and they also landed uh, their center in, in Mark Williams from Duke. He was their, their first round pick. Um, so I think that's kind of what their core is going to be moving forward. And Bryce has to show that he can be part of that long-term. Jacob Badilla is with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Jacob, uh, looking at the yearbook right now, your feature story, Helping by Hooping, you had a chance to cover a special Olympic event uh, that a lot of the Nebraska guys uh, chipped in on uh, with uh, with the basketball being the focus. And you had, uh, you had quite the scouting report, my friend. Tell me a little bit about the, the, uh, the impetus to this story. This was a lot of fun to read. <laughs> yeah, um, leave it to me to find a way to write about basketball in the football yearbook, right? <laughs> no, it's good. I love <laughs> uh, it. <laughs> to be fair, though, it was Aaron and uh, Brandon's idea. They suggested to me, and I wasn't sure if it, uh, quite how it would play out at first, but they said, you know what, go to this event, see see what happens, and we'll move from there. And um, went out there to Elkhorn South with uh, Elliot Brown, walk-on. Uh, his dad played in Nebraska and Lance Brown back in the day, and um, he got the idea from his dad because seniors back then used to do like these charity, like ba- basketball all-star games after their careers were over, and then you have to worry about eligibility and all that. Um, and so Elliot heard about that, and with NIL now, we're kind of opening the door. He's like, you know what, I can do that even better. So he invited a bunch of his teammates up for uh, an event. They got to play 
against a special Olympics team and then a group of, they called them uh, celebrities, which, which uh, former players and teachers and just people kind of around the, the Elkhorn community out there. Mm-hmm. And then they got a handful, uh, like five high school kids um, from Elkhorn and Elkhorn South to, to play against them. 14, 15 uh, uh, Husker football players. Uh, some of them, you could tell it, touched the basketball before. Some of the others, maybe not so much. So you got a wide range of uh, skill levels out there. And uh, kind of for the story, I kind of went through and provided my scouting report on each one of them um, and just kind of wrote about the, the event as a whole and just how it's uh, this is kind of one of the cool things that people are doing with the NIL rules now. Any uh, DMs from Trey Palmer or Alante Brown? Yeah, I, I have not heard any feedback yet from the actual players. I'm hoping that means none of them saw that, uh, saw my breakdown of them, uh, because, yeah, it might be a little bit awkward uh, if I go to interview them in the fall. And if, uh, Trey in particular and uh, maybe Taman Lynam would be another one that uh, probably uh, don't want to read the, the press clippings about that game. Uh, shouldn't be letting it fly from anywhere. <laughs> you are such a good uh, scout when it comes to breaking down games, and you, you do it, you coach. So uh, you're having a little fun, uh, and, and I, I think the guys, I hope the guys take it that way. Uh, before we wrap up, give me uh, some summer league ba- basketball updates. Uh, you've been covering a lot of basketball as well. I know you had uh, quite a few games today. Yeah, I was just out at Tapio South for uh, their 3D jam. Um, yesterday and today, I got to see uh, former Nebraska target and Wisconsin commit uh, Gus Bus Gus Yeldon, hmm. playing with Carney. Um, he did the same thing last summer. He's got family back there, and I guess spent some time in the summer out there in Carney and kind of runs with them at their open gyms to just to, to get some cardio in or whatever. And um, Drake Bryant's out there, like, you want to play with us? Um, <laughs> Uh, why not? So he was out there, and uh, he, he he's, he's very good. <laughs> uh, had had some monster games yesterday and today. Hit a step back uh, game winning three over two defenders yesterday. Had uh, thirty two uh, in a game today. I watched, um, but uh, W West. I guess I guess see a little bit of them yesterday and today. And man, Josiah Dozer has played so well um, the last two three weeks. Um, I think he's he's pretty clearly uh, the top prospect in that that 2023 class that we have right now, and he, he's been playing really really well. Um, I also got to see uh, Tracy Anderson play a little bit today, and um, he's the first one from that 2024 class to receive a Division uh, One offer with South Dakota State offering uh, this week. Uh, he he did well down at the the showcase in Kansas City, and then went up and perform well in their uh, elite camp as well. So um, it was good for him. It's always good to see kind of the, the wheels start to roll on that uh, with those division one offers. And he's a six, six, not uh, six, nine kid uh, out there for Pius mm-hmm. um, that can step out and shoot the ball and can rebound as well. He's kind of got the physical tools to, to keep developing and the baseline skill level to be uh, really intriguing. So um, uh, that was some of the, the highlights today, I guess. Well, you mentioned Anderson, and, and he contributed a lot of really good minutes for Coach Spitschka last uh, winter, and, and into the uh, you know in, into uh, uh, his role. I mean, he was a lot of fun to watch. Any Lincoln area kids uh, that that are on your radar before we say goodbye? Yeah, I, I did see uh, Lincoln Southwest uh, today. They they uh, played against 
uh, Bellevue West and gave them a really good fight in the first half and then kind of got away from them in the second. But um, Chuck Love played well um, and, and Braden Frager as well. Those those two sophomores for Southwest, um, I think Frager had 22 and Love had 15 and hit some tough shots. And Frager's just so big and athletic and strong. He's just hard to hard to keep away from the basket when he gets going downhill. And then he'll knock down just enough uh, jumpers to, to kind of keep you honest there defensively. And, and Love uh, had a really nice kind of stretch start the game. Um, hit a three-off relocation, kind of drove the baseline, went up for a dunk, had, had a nice little and one finish as well. Um, kind of got going a little bit again in the second half. So um, they've got some, some good young talent there. They, they were missing – couple of their starters and you can tell they kind of got worn down later in the, the half or later in the game but um and i saw lincoln northeast play today as well and christian win uh, i had not uh previous times that i've got to sit down and watch a full game uh, of northeast uh win wasn't with them so it was good to see him play today and um he, he played really well um got to the basket and finished strong and knocked down a couple threes and he and Jalen Lang, their, their senior point guard, um, were really solid and led them to a win over Omaha North today. Jacob Padilla with his HailVarsity.com and magazine at Jacob Padilla underscore. Jacob, we'll get caught up again, bud. Thanks for the update today. All right, sounds good. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. I'm Brandon Vogel, managing editor of Hail Varsity. And I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we produce. 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at hailvarsity.com. Just go to hailvarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's hailvarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. The Hail Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Hail Varsity Radio, Saturday morning edition, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome back. My name is Mark Cranach, alongside Elijah Herbal. Chris Schmidt is in North Carolina accepting his Nebraska Sportscaster of the Year award. And so unfortunately for you, the listeners, you do not have a Nebraska Sportscaster of the Year on the radio this morning. Um, But that's okay. We're pinch hitting, doing what we can. And there's nothing to say that we won't win it in the future. Um, Nice to have you alongside. And congrats to Chris in all seriousness. Like... Dude is a grinder. Um, he has sure. been doing this for, God, coming up on two de- a little more than two decades, holding it down. Very well-deserved honor for Chris, so we're super happy for him as he accepts that award alongside all the other states and all of their winners. Um, so good stuff for Chris. Super happy for him. And we're pleased to be joined by the managing editor for Hale Varsity. That would be Brandon L. Vogel. And you can follow him at Brandon Novogel on Twitter. Brandon, good morning. Welcome. It is nice to have you alongside, sir. And congrats on the yearbook party that took place at the Hale Varsity Club in La Vista on um, Thursday of last week. How did that go? 
Uh, it seems like it went pretty well. Unfortunately, I was unable to be there. Um, but in talking with staff and seeing it on social, uh, very pleased with the uh, the turnout for that. And, of course, like this is always a big deal for us every year, just getting that yearbook out a lot of time. And uh, I think passion goes into to creating that each year. So it's always good to finally get to share it with people. Um, and, and I really like those events. You know, there's <laughs> – it's it's nice to be able to connect with people that are that are reading the the magazine and in some cases maybe reading it for the first time or in some cases have been reading it for a long time so it's always good when those things come together. Tell and me, I talked to a talk to a friend. Oh, sorry. No, no, go, go for it, Mark. Elijah. Go for it, Mark. Talk, talk to a friend yesterday about it that just got it in the mail and you know it's behind the cellophane and it's a super exciting time of the year when that happens because you know that football is right around the corner. Um, and I know we've talked about it over the last. Uh, couple weeks here and there but you know you always try to outdo yourself with each of those right what would you say is maybe the one or two things in this issue um that was sort of a step forward in innovation something different that maybe hasn't been in prior um in in prior yearbooks yeah um so i think well i would start with aaron Sorensen's story on garrett nelson she has put forth quite the resume of, of kind of yearbook features. Uh, those are story ideas that typically occur to her and she and I are talking about, you know, six, seven, eight months in advance. So like it's, you know, a, a lot of time goes into that. Um, with <laughs> the pandemic, it, it had our opportunity to shoot original photography specifically for, for the magazine was rightfully limited. So it was nice to get, get back to that. So I would say that feature um, certainly stands out. I, I biased, of course, but I believe we've had a, a handful of good features over the years in that yearbook, and this one measures up with that. Um, another one, you know, that's that's pretty easy to miss, And um, but I do a lot of tinkering with those, those team previews each year. I feel like they maybe get 1% or 2% better each time out at least that's the hope um and continuing to dial in a little bit of the returning production numbers that are in there um that include transfers which you basically got to do at this point um so just making small changes to those things i think we've kind of uh hit on you know the, you get two pages per per big 10 team plus the non-conference opponents and the hope is really uh a, it's it's something that's engaging to read, and you come away with it thinking, okay, well, I have a good feel like I have a better grasp on Indiana, um, but really dialing in those those numbers that we use there uh, to what I think are, are numbers that really explain kind of what happened in the year past and what is fair to expect in the year ahead. Brandon Vogel is with us here on the Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio, and. Brandon, the Hale Varsity yearbook is one of the, the two things that really kind of signals to me like, yeah, it's real football season is upon us. Uh, the first is, is the Hale Varsity yearbook, as I said, and the second is Big Ten Media Days. And when you combine those two things together, uh, usually about a month apart, it just kind of feels like, okay, it's here, it's time. And whenever you, you do look at, at this time of year, I mean, is this year unique in that, I don't know. It almost feels like we've been looking ahead to football season since January, and that's not necessarily unique. But with all the turnover on the roster this year and how different this team could be, does does this year feel unique in that sense uh, when you combine it with the fact that the Husker basketball team wasn't all that great, the Husker baseball team wasn't all that great, and there's just been a, a lot of time spent looking forward to this team and really not knowing what we're going to get? 
Yeah, I, I think this is a little bit unique in that, and, you know, in the state of Nebraska, no matter what, once one season is done, <laughs> there's not a long layoff. Like, there's not a, a lot of warm-up time that it takes to start thinking ahead for the football season to come. This one, I feel like we almost got a little bit of a head start on it with the coaching changes that happened with two games left. Nebraska already wasn't going to a bowl game. There was an indication there that like, okay, something's got to change for the future. Um, and, and also the announcement of the, the kind of changes to, to Scott Frost's deal for 2022. So in, in a lot of ways, I mean, while there was still football and while Nebraska kind of in its, in its classic fashion for 2021 played pretty well against Wisconsin and Iowa, uh, but came up short both times again, uh, it almost felt like the off season started during that bye week that, that Nebraska made those changes. So I think you have that. I think you add in the fact, two things you mentioned, that neither basketball nor baseball uh, went according to plan, or at least to Husker fans hopes either. So and then the transfer portal piece of it, there's been a lot, you know, normally you get these little kind of lulls where, okay, maybe recruiting in a dead period and transfer portal obliterates all of that um, because the roster is just constantly in flux. So I think all of that adds up to 2022, which truly does feel like a, a little bit unique, uh, at least in the now 11 Nebraska seasons I've covered. Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. You know, and and the the transfer portal has sort of stopped, right? It, it's not to say maybe another straggler or two could could appear. Um, for for the most part, Nebraska's roster appears set, and I think coming out of last season, based on the the folks that left, you had some immediate concerns for the roster, and primarily those were on the defensive line because you bring back. And you can count Garrett Nelson as a linebacker, but let's just call him defensive line since he's usually on the line. Um, I mean, you had Ty Robinson, you had Garrett Nelson, you had Caleb Tanner coming back that had any kind of meaningful snaps. And so that was an immediate concern. But then Nebraska gets a transfer from Texas Tech, gets a transfer from Alabama, uh, gets a transfer from TCU. Do, do you feel like the, the needs – we're all addressed, or is there still something on the roster where you feel like, yeah, probably could have done a better job of, of uh, shoring up X or Y position? No, not really. Not on, uh, particularly on defense. Now, of course, we've got to see those guys come in and, and kind of play to a level that doesn't represent a drop off from some experienced guys who are in the program, you know, pretty much start to finish, at least with this, this past staff uh, on that black shirts defense. So that of course remains to be seen, but if you're looking at, you know, what could, what could Nebraska have done to address some of those needs that we all saw, um, you know, starting in December slash January, I think they did a pretty good job. You know, getting those two guys on the interior of the defensive line, I think, was the biggest piece. O'Shawn Mathis is kind of, I think, the splashiest transfer Nebraska Nebraska got throughout this whole thing. And you know, at the time that he he committed to Nebraska, he was probably one of the best available. So th that helps, and that's you know that one's interesting because it's at what I think is clearly the position of strength now he, he's an edge rusher so d-line slash linebacker sort of the same deal but you know you look through some of these national preseason publications and, and nebraska's linebacker core is is ranking the top three or four in the big 10 which 
you're one of the top three or four linebacking cores in the Big Ten, you're one of the top probably 15 or 20 linebacking cores in the nation. So does, does, that, does it look that way for Nebraska come August when we actually kick these games off? It's going to go a long way, I think, towards determining what this defense is capable of. Brandon, it feels like to, to be a, a good team, a, a bowl team in this country, in the, the modern college football world, you need to have uh, a part of your team that you can rely on, a, a real strong suit that you know game in, game out, you're going to get a strong performance from them and they're going to be hard to game plan against. Is that the linebackers this year for the Husker football team? What, what is the strength of this team going to be? I, I think it is the linebackers. So you've got, you know, those two guys in the middle, both of who and Henrich and, and Reimer, who tallied a ton of tackles. Part of the reason I think it was so important for Nebraska to address the needs on the interior of the defensive line is you need a, a, a really assignment sound front for players of that caliber to be able to go and do that. Um, you, you have Garrett Nelson, who I, like a lot of people, it seems, is, is really high on going into 2022. Caleb Tanner is over here just you know the other day getting a little bit of buzz and saying, hey, and, and I mean, I think it doesn't happen in Nebraska circles because we've kind of looked at Caleb Tanner as this, you know, physical specimen. Uh, for the entire time that he's been here. And, and you've seen, you saw some games last year where he's, he's starting to put it together. But it's interesting to see, you know, national folks kind of arrive at that a little bit too, as everybody in June uh, is maybe going back and watching, watching game power from 2021. And then, and then you add Mathis to that group, you know, uh, to the degree that he'll be a quote unquote linebacker. So that. That group has to be the strength, um, and it, it will need it will need help from the defensive front. Um, and if the the secondary, you know, is able to replace some of its uh, starters that that haven't returned, um, I think you have a defense that, despite all that change, that what it would have looked like in January before this, you know, Nebraska added a bunch of pieces from the transfer portal, it was a defense where you'd expect it to take a step back just based on how much it had to replace. Now I look at it as a defense that has the potential to at least hold ground and, and maybe even be a little bit better. And if it's a little bit better, that's a pretty big achievement for my mind for Shenander and the rest of that defensive staff. Nebraska's 2023 recruiting class continues to, to add pieces, and you have five in-state guys committed right now. They haven't signed, of course, but um, five commits um, which is pretty hefty. You, you don't see a lot of years at Nebraska where you get five or more um, in-state guys that are scholarship offers and commits. And the latest one is Maverick Noonan, of course, the son of Danny Noonan, who is a All-American type at Nebraska, first rounder uh, for the Cowboys in the in the mid '80s, heck of a player. And <clears throat> Brandon, from what you've seen out of Maverick. You know, I'm not saying Grant Wistrom, but I'm saying Grant Wistrom. <laughs> the the guy, you know, 6'4", 245, he plays with really good leverage. You know, his dad, obviously, having played in the NFL, has some, you know, some pretty good tactical tips, I'm assuming, on how to play that position. And when you look at it on, on film, you know, you see some guys that – are just getting by on their ability alone or their size advantage alone, speed alone, something like that. But when you look at him, you know, I, I see a guy that is getting low, that is keeping that 
outside hand free. He just looks like a very well developed, well coached, um, really advanced for his age. Essentially, are, are you getting that same sense when you look at him? Yeah, the football smarts are pretty high for him at this already early stage, and I think you know, anytime you have a player who who's father was was a football player whether that's you know a nebraska legacy or not you kind of hope that's the case maybe even assume that's the case be like oh well you know he had access to uh nfl experience if you wanted it but it's it's not always the case and and with maverick i think you can see it uh when you when you watch him play and you know the fact that his dad played in nebraska the fact that he's in nebraska of course helps but Honestly, this struck me as, as a pretty big recruiting win for the Huskers because, you know, to be honest, players that play like him, you know, remove, remove the identifying factors, just players that like look like him. You know, to be honest, like, I've become used to guys like that going to Iowa, going to Wisconsin, um, and I think it's been one of the missing pieces for Nebraska is being in the group that can get guys like this that, you know, he, he obviously has college size right now um it, it, it's not like he's a, a an underrated prospect in in that regard but what frequently gets lost is okay actually flipping on the tape and, and you know with the defensive lineman yeah there's gonna be some highlights there's gonna be some sacks and, and stuff like that but you kind of got to watch technique a little bit so this feels like a a, a pretty big win for the huskers yeah, and Brandon, Nebraska now with uh, Sledge, Knutson, Brommer, Gatula, Maverick Noonan, all in, and all those guys are, are some of the top recruits in Nebraska next year. They they have missed out, though, on Cade McIntyre and Zane Flores. So my question to you is, if Malachi Coleman decides to go elsewhere, and he can go really wherever he wants in the country, if Coleman doesn't go to Nebraska, ends up, say, at an SEC school, can you still consider Nebraska's in-state recruiting efforts here in this 2023 cycle a success? I, I think so. Um, you know, it, if if Coleman ends up at Nebraska, it's it's a no brainer. But this, you know, this year is is a deep year for the state of Nebraska in terms of kind of P five prospects. But I, I also think it just kind of represents the new reality. And Nebraska should. This is probably where Nebraska should be. It should you know, get the majority of guys that are capable of playing at a, at a P5 level in the state. Um, because if, if you're not going to use the advantage of those players being close, being able to get them on campus for unofficials, get them in for camps, see them pretty frequently, that, that's a sign that something's wrong. Um, I don't extend that to, well, you should get all of them if you, if you want them. And I know that's not what you're saying, Elijah. Um, but I think it's just a little bit of reality and you're going to have guys that and it's still, you know, for those of us who have been around for a while for Nebraska football, it, it's weird to see a guy uh, go to Oklahoma state, you know, um, and occasionally you get a player like, like Malachi Coleman who can kind of go anywhere. Um, but it, it's still a little bit, it seems a little out of the ordinary, but I think it's becoming more ordinary as, as we go on. And it's just going to be the way Nebraska, be the way local recruiting is in Nebraska, I think, going forward. Brandon Vogel with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Let's uh, switch over to baseball real quick. And it's been dizzying the amount of players that have elected to transfer after a pretty disappointing year for Will Bolton crew. Um, I'm sure I'm going to miss some guys, but these are names that you heard all year that were regulars in the lineup um, or, or in the rotation. 
Banjoff style, Braxton Bragg, Cam Chick, uh, Core Jackson is the latest one that just jumped in there. Cody Frank, who is a really good pitcher for Nebraska. Like a lot of movement there, more movement movement than you expected. And is there anything we can attribute this amount of movement? Like, because Brandy, you hear about it from players that don't play. These dudes all played. I mean, Nebraska is going to have an entirely new look next year. Yeah, it does. It, it does raise a little bit of a red flag for me. It's definitely more movement than I expected. And where that movement came from, as you mentioned, you know, starters, serious contributors, um, one of the best pitchers on the staff, et cetera. You know, it, it does make you wonder like, oh, well, obviously for on the field, like the season didn't go uh, the way Nebraska hoped it could. Yeah, or anywhere close. <laughs> they were they were picked first in the in the conference, rightfully or wrongfully so, um, and didn't make the conference tournament. So it, it makes you wonder, kind of, what was the toll of that uh, behind the scenes? And I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. It's just when you see this much attrition from those that level of player, yeah. You have to wonder, like, why does this feel like such a hard reset uh, going into the season to come? Because that's kind of what it's going to be. And, you know, I think you could even factor in, well, it's a transfer portal era. It's going to be different. This is kind of the first time baseball's really gone through it in full. Sure. The, The amount Nebraska has had so far, I think, even outsteps a little bit of that. If you were to allow for, okay, you just have to expect more it's still higher than what I would have expected. Brandon Vogel's with us here, Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And and Brandon, when you look at all this roster turnover, uh, it's it's post-Nebraska having their worst season across the three major men's sports since 1951. And it's only up from here, right? Like, it can't get any worse. And if it does, is it time to start talking about, like, a, a Nebraska athletics curse? <laughs> You might. Uh, I, I was reading Matt Brown's uh, Extra Points newsletter, which is an excellent newsletter if you're interested in college athletics. Uh, it, I think it was either earlier this week or last week even, and he did a bunch of records requests on the upcoming college football video game uh, slated for next summer, oh, summer yeah. 2023. And one of the things mentioned in there was, okay, payouts to these teams, which is all still being negotiated, basically broken down by tiers, tier one, two, three, four. Uh, And that's based on the number of top 25 AP finishes at the end of the year. And I was like, hmm, like Nebraska's not going to rank very high in that. Uh, Nebraska football has one AP top 25 finish uh, in the past 10 years. And that was 2012. So that'll drop off after this year. So it's either uh, finished ranked this year or, or Nebraska is going to be uh, tier three, I guess, in terms of potential payout from EA Sports, assuming none of that changes going in there. And that, for some reason, you know, really struck me as, okay, you know, because during the Polini years, it was it felt like, a, well, it's not that bad, right? Like, they're still going nine and four. And, and it wasn't that bad comparatively to, to what was to come, but you step back and look at it and Nebraska hasn't been in the final AP poll in, in a decade, man, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been quite the run. That is, that is very weird to hear out loud. And I, I think you, you, you sort of know it, but you don't <laughs> until, until you hear it uh, quite literally where it said it's been a decade since they, and 
look, that's not the only measure as to whether or not you, you get payouts for, for EA Sports, but to hear out loud, yeah, it's a Tier 3 program. You're like, yeah. Ooh, there's a lot of time and energy devoted to a Tier 3 program, which in my head, I think Tier 3, I'm like, I don't know. I'm thinking like Rutgers. I'm thinking like Tulane. <laughs> so that's Nebraska's company. Yep. If you, you look at the list of uh, teams, you know, so you've got Alabama, maybe eight people, 10 of 10. Uh, you get down there to that range where it's like one or, or zero. And uh, yeah, it's it's not a lot of a lot of great comparisons. There are a lot of comparisons you would typically associate with a program of Nebraska's stature. Brandon, last thought before we get you out here. When this new college football game drops, will, will you be uh, letting the little guy know who's boss on the sticks? Is like, are you, are you planning on the, the old-fashioned, uh, I think it was the, the Cardale Jones beatdown, uh, where he went and beat that, uh, that kid that wanted to play an NCAA football game with him, like 110 to nothing? Yeah, I, I, I telling myself that I'm going to resist this when it happens next because I'm going to have to upgrade my console. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm not, I'm, my video games days are largely past. Uh, and even w- like during my heaviest video game days, I pretty much just played college football for uh, an embarrassing number of hours and not much else beyond that. I don't think I'm going to be able to resist. And uh, if if Max is ready to to hop on at, at that stage, I'm probably not going to be able to resist taking a, taking it to him with all of the, you know, that was a lot of hard work I put in with that game over the years. Be ashamed to let it go to waste. Hey, Brandon, uh, just so you know, you know, an option, and maybe you already have it, but, you know, you can get the, in, the Nintendo NES game console that comes preloaded with like 25 of the greatest hits including Tecmo Bowl and Bo Jackson that's all you got to do you just got to give it to Bo um, he does an off tackle left but you can you can break it right you can break it left and like I mean there's really no reason why you can't go 10 carries seven touchdowns um, with Bo if if you want to do that yeah Putting a lot of hours on that Tecmo Bowl as well. I will still occasionally find an emulator and just pull it up on my computer if I if I need a fix. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like fifty bucks. Though. I, I like that. I like that Walter Payton. You find Cap Bozo uh, on on the slant. Even opponent picks the play. Cap, you can still get Cap the ball occasionally. Yeah, no, there's all those all those things still hold true. It's pretty amazing. And like, why would you give the ball to Marcus Allen when you can just give it to Bo right. and he can help? You know. Um, yeah. pretty good stuff All right. Brand appreciate you man thank you for joining us have, have a solid weekend we'll talk to you next weekend you too guys thanks a lot alright there he goes Brandon Vogel managing editor Hale Varsity Mark, up next oh yeah before, before we get out of here are, are you planning on, on getting back to the glory days and picking up the new NCAA football game well, like Brandon said that, that involves an entire investment in a new console and gaming system yeah um and I'm over here with the NES, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm over here with the original that only costs fifty. I don't know if I'm ready to drop. You're not going to pull the, bucks. Imagine all a, the games you can play with your son on on the PS5. Well, I, I got him on uh, Punch Out right now, which is, <laughs> you know, it, he's legit. He's better than I am. He can he can beat second bald bull. I mean, I can't, <laughs> can't compete with that. It's pretty awesome. Um, 
yeah, they'll consider it. But God, man, that stuff's getting pricey. And then you, you get the console, and you get one controller that comes with it. You got to buy another one. That's sixty bucks or whatever. And then you got to get another game, and that's another. It's just it starts to become unsustainable. I, I don't know. We'll have to see. You give me something to think about, though. Uh, can you make your own player on this NCAA game? I mean, that's kind of a game changer. If I, you I, can. Would, I would hope so. The the, the report out from uh, I can't remember the reporter's name, uh, but the one Brandon mentioned uh, was that they are going to be Brown. using the uh, the Madden engine, so it's going to be a Madden esque game for NCAA football. And I'm not looking forward to that because they've just been ruining Madden over the past couple of years with the the ultimate team and the microtransactions. They they found their way to make money, so they invest all their time and energy into Ultimate Team, and it's kind of ruined the gaming experience for me because i i mean i just want to play the old uh dynasty mode where you go out and got to recruit all the players and build your dynasty and you can pretend that nebraska football is actually good again in your video game and that that's what i want but i have a feeling they're not going to actually invest any significant time and energy into that that's what i'm saying man review re- remove those variables just go tech mobile old school and it, it simplifies life in general and not as tough on your pocketbook, but uh, we're overdue. We got to get to a break. Gary Sharp with us next. Gary has been spending pretty much every day at the College World Series doing uh, work for the radio network and interviewing the winning coaches and players throughout. He'll have some good insight for us on the CWS finals, which start tonight. OU and Ole Miss, among other things. We'll talk to Gary Sharp next. Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Like what you hear, high-quality radio and podcast is part of what we do at Hale Varsity. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's HailVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. We're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. And then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Hail Varsity Radio Saturday morning edition rolls on. Welcome back. It's Mark Cranack alongside Elijah Herbal as Chris Schmidt is uh, in Carolina right now accepting his Nebraska Sportscaster of the Year award along with all the other state's winners. Big congratulations to Chris. More than two decades in the making. The dude grinds. Speaking of grinds, Gary Sharp now joining us on Hail Varsity Radio and brother of the College World Series. For as fun as it is, it is fun. It's also very hot. There are a lot of teams to learn, a lot of players to interact with. There is a lot of time spent at the ballpark, and you have been there just about every single second. Have you not? How you doing? Not bad. Uh, I didn't know what to do yesterday. Yeah, I bet. That was probably kind of weird. Like... Were you just walking around evaluating people in Omaha in general? Like, what, yeah, I, I, I like my my car wanted to drive downtown. I I, I had to say no, 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 not today. Um, but you know, it's it's uh, once it starts, it's such a whirlwind, and the, the schedule this year is more consolidated, where there's a doubleheader every day, uh, and there was until Thursday. Uh, the problem with the College World Series this year is not the weather, but more 
we had to wait until the last two games that have been played to have close games. Everything was a, a blowout and pretty much decided by the fourth or fifth inning until we got back-to-back Arkansas and Ole Miss. So I'm hoping that Ole Miss and Oklahoma uh, follow the same blueprint and we get three straight games of great, tight, one-run baseball where you go to the ninth inning and the game is still in, uh, you know, open air. It's OU and Ole Miss tonight, and, you know, let, let's be honest, Gary, as, as, for as much as people love the College World Series around here, it's not like it's not like most people are intimately familiar with, with these rosters, right? Like, you yeah. start to learn about them as, as you get to see them more and more once they come to Omaha, but, you know, my take on it after looking at these two teams is they both play a pretty exciting, fast-paced brand, if that makes sense. I mean, the, the game was only just over a couple hours on yeah, what was that Thursday when Ole Miss clinched? Yep. Um, so, and their pitching staff—they don't walk people. I mean, the game—it has a good, crisp pace to it. Um, they're a good hitting lineup. They were, of course, left for dead. And then you got—you got Oklahoma, who—I mean, th- those dudes are super aggressive offensively. I mean, they are stealing bases constantly. You have multiple guys with double-digit stolen bases, which is kind of a lost art here. Um, in you know in modern college baseball so uh, you know how how do you pit these two guys and and what are kind of the things for maybe the casual fan that hasn't been following this so intimately that you think will um come come to bear and and what do you think is kind of the 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 more interesting storylines as as you look at these two teams the three-game series starts tonight well one i like it as a unique atmosphere you know a unique matchup you don't you don't get Oklahoma and Ole Miss. These are not stalwarts. They're always here in the College World Series. Um, you're absolutely right. Oklahoma plays a different brand of baseball. They kind of play a small ball uh, that was very prevalent, you know, five, ten years ago in college baseball and led to national championships. They create a lot of chaos. They like to run the bases. They'll be a little aggressive. They'll take an extra base. But their lineup is pretty balanced, one through nine. And their pitching staff is set up really well. They're going to throw a lefty, Jake Bennett, tonight. And then tomorrow they're going to throw – a uh, right-hander named Cade Horton, who probably has moved himself into the first round of the Major League Baseball draft by what he's done in the last month, including the other night in the College World Series. I like Oklahoma a lot. they got a really good personality in the head coach, Skip Johnson, who would rather be checking his deer feeders than on social media. And then on the other side, you got Ole Miss. Ole Miss is pretty solid as well. Now, Dylan DeLucia got him here. He's not probably going to pitch maybe on Monday for an inning or two. But Ole Miss is a tough out as well. I think both these teams are really good first-pitch fastball-hitting teams. I'm intrigued by the matchup, but I like Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma is playing. It played well for the last month. You know, they could have hosted. They didn't host. They had to go on the road to Florida, and they had to go to Virginia Tech, and they've come here, and they went through 3-0. and And I also like their approach. They're very business-like. After they won the other day, they, they walked off the mound uh, with high fives like they had just won a midweek game against, you know, Incarnate Word where Ole Miss, which has never played for the national championship, you know, they had a dog pile. So I think it'll be fun tonight. The weather's going to be pretty good, um, and hopefully it's a, it's a good stage for college baseball. And it's a good game because, you know, college baseball has a tendency that when you get bad pitching and you get walks, which we didn't have the other day, the game just drags, and then coaches squeeze the life out of it. So I'm hoping for at least two really good games of baseball, and maybe we'll get lucky and have a third one, winner take all on Monday. Gary, if, if Ole Miss were to pull out this, this College World Series championship, where do you think it would rank in, in terms of underdog stories in sports, being the last team into the field? 
I mean, 64 out of 64 going on to win the tournament. Would it rank up there, but or, or would it not because of the fact that Ole Miss was so highly touted in, in the preseason? I mean, uh, a preseason top five team, they, they kind of floundered early in the season, but then they, they got their legs under them. Is it still an underdog story if they were to win it all? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the last part, Elijah. They were in some polls preseason number one, and there were a lot of expectations. And then they left Fayetteville, Arkansas, at the end of April, and they were seven and fourteen in the conference. And, and they had to sit there and wonder on Memorial Day if they were going to get in. But I think they've always thought that they were a really good team. They had just gone through some ups and downs in the SEC. And Tim Elko has said he has a famous line: "Don't let the Reds get hot." Well, up until Wednesday night, they had not lost in the NCAA tournament. So they are worthy of being here. They got invited. They were the last invite. And all you had to do was get them into the tournament. And then they were going to show you how good they were. But it is from the storyline of their head coach, who's been there 22 years, was on the hot seat, to now if they win the national championship, they might build a statue of him. That's the pretty good story. But I don't see him as an underdog. I think they're a really good baseball team that got into the tournament, and then you got to see how good they were. Gary Sharp with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Um, Gary, kind of, kind of bigger picture with the game in general. You know, when that ballpark first opened up, TD Ameritrade, which is now Schwab Field, I mean, dude, that, that park just swallowed up any kind of baseball. Like, there's nobody hitting home runs. It, was, it wasn't that exciting, to be honest. Um, and I wouldn't say we're back to gorilla ball by any stretch. It feels like, I don't know, is it the bats? Is it the ball? Whatever it is, it feels like it's sort of dialed in to where you have like a reasonably, you, you have a reasonable baseball game. Now you have a reasonable chance to hit a home run, um, but you can also pitch shutouts. Like it, it just feels like the game is finally sort of tuned to that stadium. Is that your sense too, for having covered it for so many years? Well, uh, you know, here's an example, Mark. We had four home runs in the first game between Oklahoma and Texas A&M. And that was more than the 13 world series had total. I think there's a combination of things that have gone on this year. And, and, and offense is up around college baseball. It wasn't before they got to Omaha and the offense went through the roof. This offense has been up. Is You have older players in college baseball. Because of the COVID year, you have 22, 23, 24-year-old players on some of these rosters. Uh, and most of them are hitters going against 18, 19-year-old pitchers. You also have the Major League Baseball draft was cut down to five rounds. Then it was cut down to 20. So players that normally would already be into the professional career have elected to stay in college. And so you get those older rosters as well. And then some believe that the ball is different. Um, and, and I think in, in the game of baseball, we do have a baseball problem in terms of the production and how the quality of the baseball. You see that in Major League Baseball from, okay, what were the balls that teams were getting in April to now what were they shipped in May? Uh, and so I think that factors in. Some, some coaches will tell you that if, you look at the baseball from last year to this year that it is considerably different. I think there's all kinds of factors. I also think it's weird here because the wind, balls have died between left and right center field, but down the lines, balls are going out. So I don't know if it's the jet stream or whatever it is, because for the most part, the entire series, the wind has been blowing in at a nice, nice clip. So it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things, but I wouldn't discount that the college baseball is a little bit older this year. When you've got 22, 23-year-old sluggers are going up against these 18, 19-year-old pitchers. Plus, there has been the movement, as we've seen at the major league level, to you know home runs and strikeouts, but also um, swinging up, you know, trying to drive the ball out of the ballpark. And we're seeing the result of that because you don't have as many dominating pitchers throughout college baseball. 
like we've had in the past. Gary Sharps with us here, Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, Gary, I know we're on a shot clock here. Uh, we got to get you out of here. So uh, to shift gears from College World Series to football, I want to get your take on the commitment of Maverick Noonan, a legacy for the Huskers. What does it mean both for this year's in-state recruiting crop and for the Huskers moving forward? I think it's the biggest commitment because of what he means. His talent, uh, his position, it's, all, it's a never-ending position of need, pass rusher, somebody who's got a legacy. And also I think it's, you know, you, the, the family knows everything about Nebraska. So you can't pull the wool over their eyes. And if their son, who had plenty of offers, from places that have developed defensive linemen better than Nebraska has, if the family sees a vision of what's going on in Nebraska, that it's okay for their son, because that last name is on the line as well, along with their son spending time in Lincoln, is that's a positive thing for Nebraska. I think that says a lot. I think this is a big pickup for Nebraska. I, I think it's the biggest commitment. I tweeted it out, and people said, well, what about Malachi Coleman? Malachi Coleman, if Nebraska doesn't just completely drop the ball, Malachi Coleman is coming to Nebraska. But I think what this means with who Maverick Noonan is is huge for Nebraska, and they've done a really good job in-state this year of getting players that they wanted. And you can't have enough defensive or offensive line linemen, in my opinion. I think this is a big pickup. I didn't see it coming this soon, but it's huge. It's a huge boost to end the month of June uh, for Nebraska to get somebody with the talent of Maverick Noonan. And his game has slowly picked up you know, from the beginning of last year to the way he finished the year that he was tough to block and people didn't want to block him or they had double teams all the time to where he'll be coming into his senior year. Again, I think it's the biggest commitment of the 23 class with all of that package that I described. You know, Gary, and what's interesting about him, and I think you throw Riley Van Poppel into the mix too with his dad being Todd Van Poppel and then, of course, Maverick Noonan's dad being Danny Noonan is you're talking high-level professionals' children who – don't seem like they're sort of of the Keyshawn Johnson Jr. ilk where they've been coasting. <laughs> these, these, both those players look very refined, right? Like advanced yeah. in terms of technique and all of that to where they're, they're not projects. And I feel like Nebraska has had to rely on projections, you know, people that have good athleticism, good measurables, all that stuff, but really projects. I, I think with both these guys, it's just that you just got to put on weight, let them go. I agree with you, Mark. I think that's a big thing. You know, if, you, if you've comboed Van Poppel and Noonan back-to-back commitments, that's, that's a pretty good month for Mike Dawson. It's a pretty good month for Nebraska. But there's a point you made that I continue to hammer is fathers that play at a professional level, you can't fool them. You can't pull the wool over their eyes. You can't just, you know, tell them what they want to hear. They know way too much. They've been through it. So if they – Say it's, if they give the impression that it's okay for their son to make a decision to go to Nebraska, then you know that that's a good sign that they are also seeing the vision of what the program will do for their son and maybe where the program is headed. So that's why another element of I think this is the most important commitment. I'm excited to see him. He's, you know, I, I'm wondering if his dad will come back and be able to take a couple of snaps because I don't know if you've seen his dad lately. Uh, yeah, he doesn't miss an arm or leg day like his son. <laughs> Gary, appreciate your time here on a Saturday morning. I know you got uh, other commitments to get to. You're a busy guy here as we get to the College World Series Championship uh, Series. But appreciate your time on this fine Saturday morning and enjoy the game tonight, all right? Hey, Mark and Elijah, thank you very much as always. Appreciate you, Gary. All right, there he goes, Gary Sharp. So what are we at shot clockwise here, Elijah? We you have know? about 90 seconds left here. So uh, you mentioned that uh, you got the uh, the day off from baseball. What do you got planned? Yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, work. I got some side work to do, you know. 
That doesn't change, Elijah. You you can relate. Yeah. You can relate. As you're coming up and grinding, you realize that you don't get a lot of days off. You know. Well, that doesn't change. I, I prefer, it doesn't necessarily I change better. later. I prefer it better without the uh, without the days off. Sometimes you just get way too bored in a day. I mean, like. I look at like a full Saturday and I go like, why would I waste all this time like watching Netflix whenever I could actually get some some productive work done and like and instead of making it a, a six seven eight hour day, make it like a you know a little three four hour day. Yeah, yeah, no, there's there's pros and cons to that as as well. You're gonna be watching the CWS tonight. It's I, I'm interested. I, I really think they're gonna be pretty fast paced games. You know, and and God, I appreciate that. I, <laughs> well, I, some baseball games just drag, but it, it the, the way Oklahoma and Ole Miss plays, it's it, pretty action packed. Well, it sounds like Ole Miss probably is going to have the uh, the true freshman Elliot on the mound. So uh, he's been a guy who's really been coming on late or coming on strong as of late. So uh, I, I think at least in game one, I, I think he might be uh, spot on there. But as the series goes on with Ole Miss burning their ace, I, I do wonder if uh, Oklahoma's I guess pitching depth that Ole Miss may not have because they had to go two games against targets. I wonder if that's going to rear its ugly head. Now, here's the thing, though. Ole Miss has had their starters go the distance or close to the dip. They haven't had to dip into the bullpen a ton. This is so bad. I don't think they're as hurting as as as, uh, as you might think. All right. Elijah, good to be with you today. Thanks to all our listeners. Thanks to Brandon Vogel. Thanks to Gary Sharp. Um for Elijah Herbal, Mark Cranach, Hill Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Talk to you next time. A Huda Media Production.